Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Okay. Verses. There's a few typos in this, and it's um, verses on the faith mind. Uh, by Sengstan or Sengtsan. Um, and as I said last week, this is also found in this book, Teachings of the Buddha. And uh, also, you can Google it on, online and, uh, and, and get this. For those who weren't here last week, as I said, it's my, yeah, it's, or I might have said it earlier tonight, my, just my favorite piece of Dharma. There's, there's a number of lines here in this treatise on these two pages that you could just um, chew on for a long time. And, and I have. Um, that, um, that are really kind of pith teachings, like that first one that's probably the most well-known, the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. Uh, and as we talked about last time, this is a, a treatise on non-duality. On the the, it's a very high level of dharma. It's not the relative reality, which has you know really profound teachings about keeping, acting with integrity and keeping precepts and developing mindfulness and um, just living in harmony in the world and practicing kindness and compassion and those things. That's the, the relative level of reality. Then there's tapping into the ultimate reality, which is what the Buddha, the heart of the Buddha's teachings, pointing to that place beyond me and other, seeing through me and other to a place where uh, beyond that that separation, whether you call it uh, the emptiness or as I was talking with uh, with with Anam Rinpoche uh, just this week, the ground of being, uh, the unconditioned, the unborn, nibbana. Um, this is what he's talking about to get beyond that sense of separation, of duality to non-dual. And it's also a really uh, powerful um, teaching on what gets in the way. Last, last time, he, as, as he pointed out, we, we and we, we um, read not to set up what you like against what you dislike is the dis-ease of the mind. Here are a few of the, 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 the beautiful lines from the last. We did the first three sections just to remind you. To set up what you like against what you dislike is the disease of the mind. The way is perfect like vast space where nothing is lacking and nothing is in excess. To deny the reality of things is to miss their reality and to assert the emptiness 
of things is to miss their reality. You can't even get caught in, in, the, not, in the emptiness of things. Stop talking and thinking and there's nothing you'll not be able to know. One of my favorite lines of all. Mm. It's a great conversation stopper, you know. <laughs> Somebody is, you know, kind of going on and on and you think to yourself, you know, or you might even say, oh, there's this great line from the Third Zen Patriarch, you know. Stop talking and thinking and there's nothing you'll not be. Let's just sit in the silence. Mm. And... And it is so powerful when you meet in that place of silence, there's a whole other level of connection. And then we ended with the line, do not search for the truth, only cease to cherish opinions. Anybody play around with uh, any of those? I think I I had suggested last week if you could uh, play around with ceasing to cherish your opinions or... It's not talking or thinking and and listening to the stillness. Anyone play around with that? There's one hand back there. Yeah. 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 Anything that you found? We don't have to spend time unless you had a something you want to share. Yeah. Uh huh. Hang on. Why don't we just. Real close. Maybe it's not done. Beyond sun, but projection. Projection. Is this okay? Um, (laughs) I I was working with um, trying not to cherish my opinions, and I found that when I did that, um, that. Um, vast spaciousness in the mind begins to happen, and that was really great to experience that. Far out. Doesn't that sound enticing? A vast space in the mind. Mm, it's right there. So, okay, great. All right, once you close that, I have a feeling it's the wrong. Because that one is buzzing a bit, so I'm just going to see about this. Let's see. Testing, yeah. Okay. So, do not remain in the dualistic state. Avoid such pursuits carefully. I'll read this first section, then we'll stop. If there is even a trace of this and that, of right and wrong, the mind essence will be lost in confusion. Although all dualities come from the one, do not be attached even to this one. When the mind exists undisturbed in the way, nothing in the world can offend. And when a thing can no longer offend, it ceases to exist in the old way. Hmm. Now, it's interesting where he's saying 
Do not remain in the dualistic state. Avoid such pursuits carefully. In a way, he's saying, okay, don't do this, do this. It's kind of tricky. You could, one could catch him and say, well, wait a second, is that a, isn't that a preference? So you can go, kind of go through a, an infinite regression of no preferences. Um, but you've got to start somewhere. So he's saying, avoid such pursuits. He's saying, you know, this just gets you into trouble. He's not saying you're bad if you do it, but it, this is where the mind starts to get hooked. If there's even a trace of this or that, and of right and wrong, the mind essence will be lost in confusion. Now, gosh, what does he mean? There's no right, no wrong? What, uh, any, any comments, any, anything that you want to bring up before I say my, my piece? Raise your hand. I'm Wendy. Uh -huh. Is this good? That's okay. good. Um, well, to me, he's um, talking about the, the judging mind mm -hmm. when he's speaking about right and wrong. Uh, and um, it seems to me that, um, and that was one of the things that I was kind of noticing this week in, in thinking, looking at what I like and what I dislike and how um, how much I miss um, in what's going on around me when I'm caught up in what I like or what I dislike or what I think is right or what I think is wrong. Um, and it does cause you to miss uh, a lot of what's actually going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It filters your experience. You're just seeing it through your filter. Now, the Buddha said... Uh, he also said, don't be attached, uh, you know, to opinions. Uh, this is, uh, people who get caught in their attachment to opinions go about the world annoying people, you know, that, uh, that line. But he also said, here is the Dharma, you know, right livelihood, right speech, right action, right effort. There's a whole lot of rights there. How do you, how can you understand that? Well, the word that's, that's translated as right, sama, is, um, is actually more accurate, more accurately translated as skillful. He said, if you do this, this tends to lead towards well-being and happiness. If you don't, it tends to lead towards suffering. And the choice is yours. It's not like you're bad if you don't do it the way he suggests, but it tends to conduce towards one or the other. So coming back to this, if there is a trace of this and that, of right and wrong, the mind essence will be lost in confusion. And particularly around judgments and 
self-righteousness in case you ever happen to fall into that trap. My way, I know. And it's just amazing how everybody, when you think about it, we are all going around in our reality assuming that we're right. Unless we're assuming that we're wrong. That's another, another way to go about in the world. You know, I'm wrong, everybody else is right. You know, I'll, maybe in, in ten lifetimes I'll get it together. But mostly we believe our thoughts thinking that we're right. And if only everybody else could just see the truth. It's so obvious to me. The mind essence is lost in confusion because you're not seeing that there's many possible realities. Okay. Although all dualities come from the one, do not be attached even to this one. It's like he's just pulling the rug out. Not that. Don't, uh, Punjaji by... Uh, very inspiring uh, teacher who I, I spent time with would say, um, no place to land. There's no place to land. You know, as soon as you think, oh, that's it. Oh, yeah, now I've got security. Now I've got home base. Forget it. You know, time to pull it. No, nothing to hold on to. And then in that not holding on, there's, there's just complete letting go into freedom. When the mind exists undisturbed in the way, nothing in the world can offend. And when a thing can no longer offend, it ceases to exist in the old way. That is, it's such a, I I love that line. Imagine somebody saying something to you like, you jerk, right, or you really blew it, or why don't you, whatever, or are you ready for some feedback, or, you know, (laughs) I have something to clear with you, can we talk, you know, now, it takes a very centered and still and non-identified mind to not take things personally. But I would bet that most everybody has had moments of that. Like if a little kid came up to you and said, you know, yeah, you are just such a mean person because you won't let me, blah, blah, blah. You just say, oh, it's just a little kid, you know. Oh, dear, you know, she just doesn't understand. You wouldn't be offended, would you? Probably not, maybe, but most likely not, because they just don't understand. Imagine having that um, spaciousness where the thoughts don't stick and snag and get a reaction. When the mind exists undisturbed in the way, nothing in the world can offend. It just doesn't stick. And when a thing can no longer offend, 
it ceases to exist in the old way. So there's that person saying, are you ready for some feedback? And you see, they, if it doesn't get to you, you're not reactive in saying, that rotten SOB or whatever, I'm going to get... It, they, it's, they cease to exist in the old way. They're no longer an enemy or an adversary when you see the confusion behind that mind. That's one example of, of, of how this you know, can be practiced. It might be a really, it might be, it would be a really profound practice. Just imagine having that attitude of something coming towards you and having it not stick because there's a spaciousness. It's like uh, the Buddha, when Mara is throwing his arrows, the slings and arrows of Mara trying to confuse the Buddha, and, and the Buddha, there's a, a gesture where the Buddha holds his hand up and all the arrows hit his hand and turn to flowers and drop at his feet. That's, that's the mind undisturbed in the way and it's ceasing to exist in the old way. Ah. Mm. Feel like practicing that this week? In fact, as we go on, just think of some situation that you might get generally snagged by some energy coming to you. Think of something in your life. Maybe some relationship, some challenging relationship, or some environment, some situation that you, or issue that you face, where things get stirred up. And just imagine, particularly if it's a relationship, just seeing the confusion behind the energy and having the the arrows turn to flowers. That's where the, the, the suffering that you see out there turns can evoke compassion instead of reaction. So check that out. Now it goes. All right, let's go on. Any, anything before we go on? Yeah. Okay. That what? Here, put it up. The Dharma Sangha as a place to land uh-huh. and a, as a place to hold on to. And so is he saying to uh, release even that? Or is it more your relationship to it that he's talking about? Or is it more? that Your relationship to it? You know, it... So thank you for for bringing that up. This is not an all or nothing kind of proposition. This is about dancing on on two different levels. So on the one level, there's the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, the refuges where we find safety and comfort in that connection and inspiration. And then there's another level of reality 
the ultimate reality where you see it's just it's just a play of consciousness that it seems like we're talking to each other but that's just that's that's one level where we're not talking to each other it's just talking to itself we're coming out of out of emptiness so it's not to abandon the other but the more you are um, familiar with and abiding in or even get glimpses of this ultimate reality the more you can play and dance at being being you and use the all the support you can get and it's really about um, living in both levels so this informs the relative reality thank you so when no discriminating thoughts arise the old mind ceases to exist when thought objects vanish the thinking subject vanishes as when the mind vanishes objects vanish now don't don't worry about this this is really zen stuff so you know if it seems a little bit out there or cryptic you know just kind of like take in what what makes sense and uh let it wash over you things are objects because of the subject mind and the mind subject is such because of things objects understand the relativity of these two and the basic reality the unity of emptiness in this and that word should be this in this emptiness the two are indistinguishable and each contains in itself the whole world if you do not discriminate between coarse and fine you will not be tempted to prejudice and opinion who okay anybody want to try putting that in in words that uh that you can relate to is it oh is it okay thank you um there's a couple of things i got great um things are objects because of the subject so it's because of my mind that says that's a chair that makes it a chair only because of what i'm saying what i'm saying mm-hmm. um and the mind subject is such because of the things so that chair because i've named it a chair reflects back that my mind is naming that chair yeah <laughs> and then there's a uh, um in this emptiness the two are indistinguishable undistinguishable and each contain in itself the whole world and i kind of i'm on the edge of understanding that but i won't i can't mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. i sort of do <laughs> mhm uh, you want to try um 
well, the line before, understand the relativity of these two and the basic reality, the unity of emptiness. So uh, the unity of emptiness, because the, it isn't really a chair, it's only because I say it's a chair, and being a chair it means that it reflects back my mind. So it's really n- n- neither. Mm-hmm. So I, that I understand. Um, in this emptiness, the two are un- in undistinguishable, mm-hmm. And each contain in itself the whole world. Yeah, I, I think I get it, but I don't think I can verbalize it. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's the concept, I think, of the chair. Is it really a chair if it doesn't have legs? Mm-hmm. So it's a kind of emptiness, the concept of emptiness, which is everything but nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, uh, on, on one, in one level, all of these things have names and have functions to us. This is a bell. That's a microphone. Those are chairs. And ultimately, uh, that's, that's just how those atoms are configured now, and they create that function for us. Oh, that's a chair. I sit down on that. Um, But it's not the ultimate reality. A lot is conditioned by how we perceive it and the function for us. But, um, well, you know, you're probably familiar with the line, form is emptiness, emptiness is form. From uh, from the Heart Sutra, and just kind of like going back, it's 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 not very different than Albert Einstein saying, you know, it's all matter and all energy. You know, nothing is nothing is uh, is is destroyed, but it go, it's gets converted depending upon what moment in time you're in. It's um, there are things that are there for a while, but they're there just for a while. And there's no permanence to them. It's just all coming into form and moving out of form. And our, our mind makes them that object. And when the mind is, is, is not operating, you know, is there, is there an object there? Well, yes. I have one, I have one more thing. So thing that I said earlier was something that His Holiness Dalai Lama had talked about a long time ago and the first time I heard it the first time I heard it I didn't quite understand Mm -hmm. and then uh, Thich Nhat Hanh has this book called The The Heart of Understanding which is about the Heart Sutra Uh and I really like the way he talked about the concept of emptiness Mm -hmm. because basically what what he was saying is as you're reading this paper you're thinking of the tree that it came from Mm -hmm. And you're thinking about the minerals that supported that tree mm-hmm. and the water that nourished the tree and the clouds that brought the water. And so it's, it's that whole... Mm-hmm. And the logger and the logger's mother and it's everything that that's gone into this piece of paper. It's just right now is a piece of paper, but it's, it's inherently connected to everything else in, in the universe. Yeah, exactly. Okay, should we?
Well, for me, this is really tough <coughs> because it's trying to explain something that's uh, really difficult by using, for me, one of the most difficult um, distinctions that I know of, and that's between subjects and objects. I mean, and in a sentence, um, the object is the object of the verb, and the subject is the subject of the sentence. But here, and, and then a subject is, is one of the things that a king has. King has a bunch of subjects. So what's the difference between this? I know what objectify means is, but if you, if you subjectify, does that mean that you relate to that thing as a person? So anyway, what I wind up with is sort of like a sort of linguistic thing that um, w when I look at the world, I see a, a collection of objects, but that seeing of that collection is the function of my mind and it's only one half of the relationship. And the half that is my half <laughs> is m my mind or the subject. The, the word subject doesn't help me too much. But well, you, you know the word, uh, the, the phrase, your subjective reality. Yes, yes. Yeah. That, that's really yeah. what, what it's talking about. All it's your subjective reality. Just from where you are seeing, that is your take, mm. but it is specific to you, the way you are perceiving mm. and holding reality. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't, unfortunately, do what I do, what I've been doing with the rest of these, and that is make, the, make it similar to the distinction between desire and clinging. Y you know, you, you have a desire for the Dharma, but if you start clinging to it, you shave your head and wear uh, orange robes or what. Don't, ha don't, don't, don't go there on, on, on this level. But, oh, Okay, but, but, but this it doesn't help here. And, and I come to the Eskimo uh, language where um, the Eskimo has a name for each animal according to their function, and their name for themselves is th those that name. Mm -hmm. So I can, I can sort of look at... Also from, from astronomy, you know, you know about some of these really complex collisions of collections of galaxies and and you 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 sort of sort of you get you get less subjective more object you 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 can't really define good and evil there and, and you see how how local and parochial our our um prejudices are you know mm -hmm. Mm. but but that's the best i can do <laughs> that, that, just just stay right there with that one okay great Let, let's go on To live in the great way is neither easy nor difficult. But those with limited views are fearful and irresolute. The faster they hurry, the slower they go. And clinging, attachment, cannot be limited. Even to be attached to the idea of enlightenment is to go astray. Just let things be in their own way and there will be neither coming nor going. That's the end of that little piece before we go on to the next one. So, 
Can you relate to this? Those with limited views are fearful and irresolute. It's like as soon as, as we cut off the reality to say, this is my reality, then we've got to protect our reality, right? And then if we've got to protect it, well, then, then anything that, then we can be threatened by another reality as soon as we are cornering ourselves into our own, our own specific reality. And as soon as you start getting fearful and, and irresolute, start getting confused and swaying the wind, you start getting anxious. The faster you hurry, the slower you go. You know, I am going to get enlightened as fast as I can. You know, am I there yet? And the more you try, as we talked about last week, the more you grasp onto even the most profound teachings, you're still grasping. Clinging attachment cannot be limited. Even to be attached to the idea of enlightenment is to go astray. Just let things be in their own way and there will be neither coming nor going. This is, it, it keeps on getting into surrendering your views, letting go more and more. Any, any comments? Any? So you might just play around with this in your own practice, both seeing how your views might be limited your Dharma views or your views about what's going on around you, and to see how you can get attached to your views and what happens when you see them just as views. doesn't mean that you give them up. You know, the, Buddha, the Buddha said, just don't be attached to your opinions. Use them. They're important. They're wise. They might be wise. Check them out and see if they're true but not to, not to be so attached to them. And in that release, things are just in, coming and going on their own. Okay. Um, if you've got anything to say at any time, just raise your hand. Okay. Obey the nature of things, your own nature, and you will walk freely and undisturbed. When thought is in bondage, the truth is hidden, for everything is murky and unclear, and the burdensome practice of judging brings annoyance and weariness. What benefit can be derived from distinctions and separations. From such distinctions. I want to see another. There it is. Slightly. Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly the same. So, obey the nature of things, your own nature, and you will walk freely and undisturbed. <clears throat> what, is, what is that... You ever get into that 
space where you're just walking freely and undisturbed, what's that like? What's going on then? Uh-huh. What'd you ambassador? Um uh you know, basically just when I'm absorbed in my experience and there's no me who's doing things, there's just the doing. Okay. Right. And when you're walking freely and undisturbed, are you wondering how what people are thinking about you? I mean, that, that's the beauty to just, this is real. When you're around somebody who's just completely themselves, you know, isn't it refreshing? Wow, how can they just be themselves? Amazing. You know, a completely unpretentious and unselfconsciousness, uh, unselfconscious. You know, it's like, oh, this is who I am, and there's, uh, that's, that's real freedom. To just be yourself and not be, you know, primping and preening and, and hoping that you're coming off okay and, you know, being human. But when you just, I'm remembering now the beginning of Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, a great book by Suzuki Roshi. And the introduction, one of his students says, uh, you know, the Roshi has all these amazing qualities, uh, uncanny perspicacity and deep wisdom. But uh, she says, but in the end, it, it's, it was his utter ordinariness that's so extraordinary. He's just himself. Ah, to obey your own nature, then you walk freely and undisturbed. How refreshing. And what a gift it is to everybody. But when thought is in bondage, the truth is hidden, for everything is murky and unclear, and the burdensome practice of judging brings annoyance and weariness. That's been a very profound line for me. I, I've, I think I've mentioned it in here. When I, on, on one retreat, I would go, I would just... Uh, this was the treatise that was working with the, for me, working with the judging mind. And I'd go into the, the dining room, and every time I'd notice a judging thought, I'd just tack on you know, the burdensome practice of judging. It made such sense. You, know, you could just feel it. You know? And I'd say, you know, oh my God, going for a third portion, the burdensome practice of judging. You know? Oh, what a klutz I am. I just dropped my fork the burdensome practice of judging. And just remembering that, reminding, I don't have to do that to myself. Or when you, when you see for like the 75th time during a, a lunch how, how much that keeps on getting triggered, it's like you start to lighten up a little bit uh, about it. So I really invite you to take that line to heart. The burdensome practice of judging brings annoyance and weariness. What benefit can be derived from distinctions and separations if you just put down the burden for yourself, 
for others, that's freedom. Anything before we go on? Oh, this is where's that? That's the red mic. Lisa. Um, I was thinking that I, I don't remember the phrase exactly, but it's something about how um, um, s- certain ways of being and living in the world support this practice. And I'm I'm mostly reading this, l- listening and reading and thinking. I am so on this the side of judgment and annoyance right now in my life and. It's stress. I'm under stress. And I think, oh, you know, this, um, it really requires more simplicity in life and a slowing down and having certain external choices and just times in, in my life that, that this is possible. And it's very, very difficult under stress or fear or it really is slippery then. Yeah. Well, stress is another... That's how uh, uh, Tanjef, Tanisaro Bhikkhu, uh, translates dukkha. You know, not just suffering or unsatisfactoriness, but stress, that tightness in mind. And you can see how hard it is to be clear when the mind is contracted. So not to judge yourself, you know, oh, I'm just so far away from this, because then you're just adding on the burdensome practice of judging, right? But to see the possibility, just to, you, you might just really take it as a practice to remind yourself there's another way. Oh, it's just the judging mind. Even, you know, even as a, as a, a, a signal, a monitor, I am stressed out here. My judging mind is rampant. What do I need to do to bring myself into balance more or to have enough clarity so I'm not, I'm not killing myself and, and making life hard for everybody around me? So it can really be a reminder. If you take it that way, oh, time to, time to maybe re- reassess here. And be really kind with that. Any anything else? Okay, let's let's go on. If you wish to move in the one way, do not dislike even the world of senses and ideas. Indeed, to accept them fully is identical with true enlightenment. The wise man strives to know goals, but the foolish man fetters himself. There is one dharma, not many. Distinctions arise from the clinging needs of the ignorant. To seek mind, the big mind, with the small discriminating mind is the greatest of all mistakes. Rest and unrest derive from illusion. With enlightenment, there is no liking and disliking. 
All dualities come from ignorant inference. They are like dreams or flowers in air, foolish to try to grasp them. Gain and loss, right and wrong, such thoughts must finally be abolished at once. Yeah, he takes out the sword, you know, the sword of Manjushri, you know, in Tibetan, you know, just, you know, or in, in, in Zen, I should say, not in Tibetan. Okay, cut through it all. And I would hope when they're abolished, they're done with, they're abolished with great loving kindness. So this is, there's a lot of stuff in here. If you wish to move in the one way, do not dislike even the world of senses and ideas. Indeed, to accept them fully is identical with true enlightenment. Wow, what do you make from that? Let's go have fun. (laughs) What's that? To not withdraw. You know, you can be uh, so pure. You know, what is it? The uh, what is it called? The the, the stink of purity. In, uh, in, in there's there, uh, there's some phrase like that. You can be, or in 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 Hinduism, it's called the golden chain. You know, it's not a chain of iron, but it's still a chain. Yes, I am very pure. Do you see how pure I am? I think I'm even purer than most everybody around me. And that's not to say, and some of the, some of the most inspiring people I know are very pure. Actually, there's a great inspiration in being pure. But if you are busy being pure, the one who's being pure, and saying, no, 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 um, from a place of mm, identification, then you're, it's just another, it's another grasping. Do not dislike even the world of senses and ideas. Now, this is a very Mahayana, more Zen thing than, you know, if you're a Theravadan monk, uh, you know, this is not what the Buddha recommended. You know. So it's not to say, oh, this is the ultimate truth. He's just saying, don't get attached to being so pure. And in fact, when you're free, especially as a, a lay person, to dance, to enjoy life, to, to let yourself obey your own nature, like I said up, up top, then, um, then, the, then, then enlightenment manifests through you. In the, in the Tibetan uh, teachings, there, there's all these crazy wisdom teachers, the 84 Mahasiddhis, and there's some guys that are, and some women that are, you know, very, very pure, and some that are, you know, so, so fat that you, they can't even get up to, to everybody's got to walk around them, and, uh, you know, there's guys hanging from the chandeliers. In fact, I'm just remembering when uh, there was a Zen, I think it was when Sun Sanin came to the States, uh, like third, I'm, you might 
know, this, uh, one great Zen master came to the States many, many years ago, and there was a, a gathering of various Zen masters. And somebody who was at this gathering said some of them were just meticulously drinking their tea and uh, just oozing mindfulness. And others were just kind of like swinging from the chandeliers practically, you know, just kind of like having a wild you know, time. And they were all Zen masters. You know, who is the real Zen master? So it's not to say there's any one way. It's just there's lots of different ways that it can be expressed. There is one Dharma, not many. Distinctions arise from the clinging needs of the ignorant. And that's where, if you're familiar with Joseph Goldstein's book, One Dharma, that's, that's the line that that came from. There is one Dharma. You know, if you say, my way is the real Dharma. Yes, I'm a Theravadan. This is, I, I, I know what the Pali Canon said. I know what the Buddha says. Well, I'm, a, I'm a, uh, an Advaita. Well, I'm, a, I'm whatever it is. I'm a Jew. I'm a Christian. I'm a, you know, I'm a, a Muslim. You know. They're all just fingers pointing to the moon. They're all just looking at the ultimate truth and trying to name the unnameable or point to the unnameable. There is one dharma, not many. Distinctions arise from the clinging needs of the ignorant. To seek mind with the discriminating mind is the greatest of all mistakes. Anyone want to play around with that? What does that mean? You can't get there intellectually. You can't figure it out. You, know, you can't like, look in the back of the book for the right answer. You know. Oh, that's it. That's what nirvana is. You know, that's nibbana. Oh, yeah. And just kind of like stick it in your pocket and say, yes, now I, I understand. It's, it's beyond the mind. You can't, you can't know the, the un, un, unnameable and describe it with the, with the small conceptual mind. Okay, we'll just do a little bit more. If the eye never sleeps, all dreams will naturally cease. If the eye never sleeps, all dreams will naturally cease. If the mind makes no discriminations, the 10,000 things are as they are of single essence. To understand the mystery of this one essence is to be released from all entanglements. When all things are seen equally, the timeless self-essence is reached. No comparisons or analogies are possible in this causeless, relationless state. If the eye never sleeps, all dreams will naturally cease. What does that mean? (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Sounds really exhausting, huh? <laughs> what, what, what could it mean in a, in a positive way? A anybody maybe who hasn't, hasn't uh, tried yet? Anyone? Uh, okay. So not making up the stories, not falling into the stories that we keep on creating. Uh -huh. Okay. If the eye never sleeps. I, I think what that... What that means to me is um, well, I've been I've been looking at these large plants here, and and I just find them fascinating. And um, I think for me, even the, the the idea that's an eye. I mean, really, the eye seeing mm -hmm. those plants like I've never seen them before. And, well, you know that I paint. So I think that's what I spend a lot of my time just looking. And when I just look at that and I see color or edges or light or dark, it's not so much about that it's a plant it's just uh, more of a, a fascination, and I and I think, you know, it's the same with with everything that's seen. Is if it's, um, you know, I, I, it's like if it's not named, like those pink flowers. If I don't name the pink flowers. I just look, and there's, let's say, the light of some parts of it and the dark of others. And anyway, that's what that line means to me, that it's my eye is seeing things, not by the words. Mm -hmm. Because if I get lost in the words, I'm sort of trapped in my, my uh, speaking mind about it. Conceptual mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then it's more like, ah, Seeing things fresh. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, like I was, I was on, I was on Bart this morning, and it, it's the same thing. Let's say even on Bart, it's like I, I go there, and it's like I'm on that same thing that I've always been on. But then there was like seeing even the screws that were holding the thing, and realizing that somebody actually put those screws in there at some point, and sort of being in this container that had been formed by a whole bunch of other people at some point in time that I was having the benefit of being inside of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, 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 so anyway, so that's what that I... Uh -huh. yeah, I Great. So seeing things 
in a, in a new way beyond concept. And if the eye never sleeps, it's really saying, if you are awake all the time, you know, which is, that doesn't mean you never go to sleep. You, know, you go to sleep at night. Uh, but if you are present, if you're truly present, the Buddha said, if you're mindful for seven days, that's it. You finish the trip. Right? Uh, let me know next week. Um, but it's something to, to think about that, you know, the more present and awake you are, you're, you know, like you said, you're not lost in your stories or your concepts of how things are. You're seeing things. You're awake. That's what the word Buddha means. You are awake. One who is awake. So, um, and then if you don't make, if the mind doesn't make discriminations, the 10,000 things are as they are of single essence. It's just the way it is. Um, so, we'll have to stop here. And uh, I would encourage you, you know, all you do is, uh, the way I've worked with this, if there's one line that jumps out at you, like the burdensome practice of judging, or there is one dharma, not many, or, you know, stop talking and thinking and there's nothing you'll not be able to know, uh, or the way is perfect like vast space. You know, just, you might pick a line that really speaks to you and, and play with it during, uh, during the week, just for the fun and richness of it. Okay, so we'll, we'll just quickly have a loving kindness. Mm, letting go of all the words, all the concepts, and just being here, feeling the heart. And opening up to the goodness of life around you and inside you. May I wake up and see things clearly. May the love inside express itself well. May I open to the peace that's right inside. And then extending that to all beings. May all beings see the truth, see clearly. May all put down the burden of judging and separation. May all wake up to their true nature. And may our coming here together be of benefit to all beings everywhere. May all beings be happy. Okay. Thank you very much for your patience and hanging in there with this. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.